Hi, this is Catherine Elston. I'm the minister at Bethel Maidstone United Church, located in Maidstone, Ontario. This weekly podcast is a way to deepen your spiritual life and connect with our community. As we find ourselves in the midst of another stay-at-home order, I thought this would be a good time to hear reflections on faith, hope, and resiliency from people working on the front lines of this pandemic. In this episode, I speak with Jenny Alderdice, a nurse practitioner working in a local hospital. Healing is a central part of Jesus's ministry. There are many examples of Jesus healing people from physical or psychological illness. In Jesus's day, as is still too often the case today, people with medical conditions were judged and ostracized. Illness was perceived to be a sign of a moral or spiritual failing. The healing Jesus brings, then, is not strictly medical. He returns people to wholeness. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus unexpectedly heals a woman suffering from persistent bleeding. The story goes like this. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The social and religious stigma associated with her condition would have isolated this woman from her community. Jesus offers holistic healing. He relieves her suffering, as well as offering care and comfort, addressing her as daughter, seeing her as one in the kinship of God. His healing touch has the power to restore life-giving relationships with her family and community. Jesus shows concern for the whole person, desiring healing for the body, mind, and soul. As we'll hear from our guest today, that concern for the care and healing of the mind, body, and soul is still so important, both for patients and their care providers.
Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, it's really special to have you here. Um, the parents of your husband, Aaron, are Connie and Cliff Campo, active members of our congregation. So that's a really special connection. And I appreciate the time you're taking to speak with us. You could just start um, by telling us your name, your credentials, current position. Sure. Great. I'd love to. So my name is Jenny Alderdice. Uh, I am a nurse practitioner at Windsor Regional Hospital's Olet campus. That's a hospital downtown. Um, I've been doing that for the last two years. I've been working for the medicine program uh, at that hospital alongside an amazing team of physicians. Um, before that, I was a registered nurse for about 16 years, working half my career just on a general medicine floor and the other half in the emergency department at the Metropolitan Campus. So it's been a lot of good years in, uh, in healthcare, which uh, I've enjoyed thoroughly. Mm -hmm. And how did you get into nursing in the first place? So I actually didn't want to be a nurse in the beginning. Uh, when I was a, a young kid, I, we grew up pretty poor and I had all these uh, beautiful dreams of being a doctor. And for some reason, <laughs> at 11 years old, you just think that uh, all doctors are rich and happy, which uh, I've since learned couldn't be farther from the truth. But mm -hmm. um but I thought that if I went to nursing school, I could somehow bridge into medical school and, uh, and I would just carry on like that. But um, the second I got into nursing school, I just fell head over heels in love with it. Uh, it was just the supreme trust that our patients have in us and, and all nurses. It's, it's amazing. You could meet somebody and then five minutes later, they'll completely disrobe in front of you, tell you their most personal details of their life, let you touch them all over. Like it's, it's, it's really incredible. The, uh, the connection that you can have with your patients and that kind of did it for me and made me decide to be a nurse. And uh, luckily nursing has so many avenues to grow and learn. And uh, there's really never a dull moment. You can almost do anything with it. Yeah. That kind of intimacy and trust is really a privilege. I imagine. It honestly is. And uh, it's, it's something that I've taken very seriously throughout my career. And uh, it's a very disorientating experience for patients going through the healthcare system. There's so many contacts with so many doctors and people and you get moved from room to room. It can be very scary. And, and you're very vulnerable. Absolutely. It's probably some of the most vulnerable times of your life. I mean, there's something wrong with your health. You don't know what's going on. You could be dying. It may just be something minor, but um, being able to help people through the healthcare system and help them navigate the healthcare system has, has truly been an honor over all these years. Well, I'm sure it's changed right now compared to years past. Tell me about your hospital experience these days. How has the pandemic affected your work? So it has been incredibly challenging as it has been, I think, for everybody uh, who's working through this pandemic and everybody who's not working through the pandemic as well. Um, we're now working in masks and gowns and gloves and face shields for, uh, for eight to 12 hours a day. Um, unfortunately, at the hospital, there's been a lot of visiting restrictions. Sometimes no visitors can come. Sometimes it's... Uh, very restricted visiting hours, just one person for a couple of hours a day. And uh, this has really impacted our patients and our patients' families quite negatively. Um, and unfortunately, the worst is with our, our COVID patients, uh, because they do decompensate quite quickly. And sometimes it's very difficult to tell who's going to decompensate and who's not going to decompensate. And uh, 
unfortunately, if they do take a turn for the worse, even if they become palliative or need end of life care because they're COVID positive, they can't have any visitors at, at all. It's, it's very strict, very firm. Nobody can come in and it's to protect the, the patients, the staff and the public understandably so, but uh, it becomes quite challenging when you have somebody who you know is imminently dying and their family can't be with them. And then we have to kind of hold up iPads for their family to helplessly kind of just try and watch and encourage them to try and create some type of connection so they're not alone. But uh, I think that has probably been some of the most challenging situations uh, that not just myself, but the nurses and, and our healthcare team have been in. Uh, and that's probably created, I think, some of the most devastating moments over the last over the last 12 months that have been happening solely because of this pandemic. So it's, uh, I think it's been tough for everybody. Um, staffing has been a, a little bit of an issue as well. Uh, right now we're sharing staff with, uh, with other hospitals, with nursing homes, just trying to kind of get, get the care. Fill the gaps. Yeah. Too. Get the care where it needs to be at the time. So um, it's uh we've been quite lucky. We've had good leadership at Windsor Regional Hospital. We really have exceptional leadership, to be honest, um, supporting us emotionally and encouraging us and making sure we have lots of PPE, which I know is a huge issue for other places. It really wasn't an issue at Windsor Regional Hospital. We were always very well protected, which is good. Um, but despite all the support, uh, the gravity of some of these complex situations and this perceived helplessness really does weigh on everyone quite a great deal. And the longevity of it now, right? It's, um, mm -hmm. It was a crisis, but now it's, it's evolved. We're over a year into it. And I imagine just the fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really is funny how it's evolved and just watching people uh, like driving down. I had one of my nurses was driving to Toronto. Their loved one had an appointment in Toronto and which is being hit the hardest right now with this pandemic. And I remember in the beginning last year, you could, you could, there'd be tumbleweeds rolling down the street because everybody was being very strict with our stay at home orders. And we're kind of in a similar situation with these stay at home orders, but uh, they said they went to Toronto and it was still on a Tuesday afternoon, six lanes of traffic, like elbow to elbow people on the sidewalks. It's, I think, I think people are just starting to get tired. Well, that actually leads to my next question was, which was, um, you know, as a healthcare professional, what are, what are some of your concerns or particular challenges you face in this third wave of the pandemic, which is a unique situation? Absolutely. I think each wave has been a unique situation. Like it's felt, it's felt different each time, you know, and I'm sure everyone can kind of attest to that. Um, I mean, to put it bluntly, we're, we're burnt out, um, all of us. The nurses are burnt out, the doctors are burnt out, the housekeepers, our clerks, our physiotherapists are burnt out. Uh, unfortunately, now that we're a year into this, some of us have lost loved ones and have had to just keep on working because we need the staff, we have to keep going, we have to push through. Right now, um, our ICUs, our, our ICUs in Windsor are not overflowing, but the situation in Toronto is quite dire right now and they don't have enough staff or beds for their ICU patients so they're shipping their patients now down to us which we're happy to have them because they certainly helped us and in the second wave when it was our ICUs that were overflowing with patients but uh, it creates some logistical problems 
with the safety of these very sick patients getting getting transferred. And another huge challenge now that we're a year into this is the secondary and tertiary effects are starting to rear their ugly heads as well. Uh, overdoses, suicides, alcohol-related admissions, um, they're way up. Uh, mental health services could really barely keep up before before this pandemic happened, there was a, a huge um, scarcity of access and services, and and now they're just completely overwhelmed. Yeah, it's a terrifying situation, and there's also, I'm sure, uh, some folks who have delayed seeking medical assistance because of the pandemic and are coming in sicker. That's you know what? That's that's exactly what happened after the second wave. It was almost we almost got busier once once our COVID patients dropped off and became much less, it was almost like we had, we were working at double capacity of all of the other health problems, which didn't go away. We still have congestive heart failure patients. We still have COPD patients. We still have, like I said, a lot of mental health patients and all of the other issues and problems that happen are still happening. And those patients don't have very good access to their family doctors because a lot of visits are now virtual visits. So physicians aren't having as much hands-on with their patients, which really is important when you're assessing your patient. Yeah, so the impacts of the pandemic are gonna extend much beyond the, this immediate shutdown and the immediate crisis. Absolutely, absolutely. It's gonna be years. I, I truly think it's going to be years while all of these tertiary effects of the pandemic pl like play themselves out, even if, COVID-19 was to disappear tomorrow, I think there's still going to be devastating effects for, for years to come as we try to almost catch up and play catch up, trying to support our healthcare system and our community services and our mental health services to try to figure out how to do a better job in the future if this ever happens again. Mm. Well, it has been a year of the unexpected. And I wondered if there was anything about this year's experience that particularly surprised you. So I think in the beginning was my favorite surprise. Um, the, the pure outpouring of support from the community back in March and April uh, in 2020, when, uh, when everybody was really listening and everybody was really paying attention and taking the government seriously with what was going on. Uh, there would be painted rocks at the hospital. There would be big cardboard cutouts encouraging the nurses and the doctors to keep going. That they're, what we're doing is is really important, and that you know the public really had our backs, and and they were really encouraging us to to keep going. Uh, you know, you didn't feel as stressed out when you're going into 10 COVID positive patients room every day treating them because you felt like you were appreciated and the risk it was it was worth accepting the risk because you were a part of something bigger. And it still goes on. But unfortunately, like, like, we're getting tired, the whole world is just getting tired of this pandemic. And I think a lot of the love and the, the support has dropped off, which, uh, which which is a bit sad uh, because it, it really did make a difference with not just myself, but the team that I work with as well. Well, as you said, I think we are all feeling a level of despair. I think we all hoped that we were going to be farther along at this point. You know, mm -hmm. vaccines are rolling out, but people are still getting seriously ill. We're still in lockdown. We're not at the finish line yet. 
I can only imagine that the level of despair and fatigue you've described um, must be all the greater, you know, throughout the hospital. So Mm -hmm. is there anything that you wish people better understood about this public health crisis? So I wish that people would understand that just because it doesn't feel real or feel scary to them right now, it, it doesn't mean that it's not devastating this virus is not devastating millions of people across this globe. I've had lots of people reach out to me that have asked me if the pandemic was even real, which is a bit of a slap in the face when, you know, we're, I'm holding up iPads while patients pass away while their loved ones watch them. You know, it's, it's really such a tragic situation. And until you've gone through it or had somebody go through it, I don't think you realize just how devastating it is until you need to access the healthcare system and can't get the care you need or it's compromised is when you start really realizing the gravity of the situation. Uh, I've had a lot of people approach me in regards to vaccinations and they don't want to get vaccinated because they're quote, not afraid or they they feel like their age group is less affected or they don't know anybody who got sick so they just it doesn't feel very real to them and they they don't feel like taking the risk of whatever side effect of the vaccine is justifiable um but it's uh this virus just spreads so quickly if if our vaccinations are are truly our only answer to this, unless we're gonna spend the rest of our lives in lockdown. The problem is this virus spreads so quickly, it's going to continue to mutate as long as we provide comfortable hosts for it. By vaccinating at least 75% of our population, it's not gonna be a comfortable host anymore. When somebody contracts the virus, our bodies can beat it or at least suppress it enough so we don't spread it. Uh, The side effects of COVID-19 have already proven to be exponentially deadlier than any side effects of the vaccine. So when you really look at all of the people who've been getting these vaccines and tolerating them well, the risk really, really doesn't, uh, sorry, the risk really does outweigh the benefit of having COVID-19. So what I'm hearing you say is get vaccinated and follow, follow the restrictions so that it's not further spread while we are trying to catch up with vaccines. Absolutely. I think we're close. We're so close. If, if we can just develop some herd immunity and just stick it out a little while longer. I know all of us are so tired of this. We want to get back to concerts and we want to get back to get togethers and we want to get back to all of these things. But the way that this vaccine mutates, it's it's really incredible. And the only way the to virus. stop the virus, yeah, sorry, <laughs> the virus Um we have to stop the spread of it to stop the mutations of it. And the vaccines are really the only way, unless we're going to spend the rest of our lives living in our basements alone. Well, as you said, the fatigue and the despair, it's real. And I hope you can tell me what motivates you just to keep doing what you're doing as a nurse practitioner. I think mostly it's my patients. Uh, I'm one of the few people in the world who absolutely still loves what they do after doing it for 18 years. I'm still absolutely passionate about it. I feel like I'm doing something I love. I feel like what I'm doing is good for the world. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, aren't able to say that about their jobs. And, uh, and I'm one of the lucky ones that can. And uh, every day I go into the hospital and I round on my patients. And some of my patients have been there. They, they've been very sick. They've been in the hospital for months at a time. So I really have the opportunity to get to know them, get to know their families. And 
just to see their resilience and see them move through not just COVID-19, but a variety of other problems, cancers, all, all types of things. And, and just to see their strength to keep going, something to laugh about, something to joke about once after having to lay in this hospital bed for months, it, it truly is an inspiration and it's an honor to serve them. So I think they really helped me keep going, especially through this pandemic. Would you say uh, that's what gives you hope? Absolutely. Absolutely. Watching my patients fight, fighting every single day. And even when they've been through the hardest fight, I had a patient the other day ask me about a COVID-19 vaccine. She'd been in the hospital for months and she wanted a vaccine before she went home because she wanted to protect her family, you know, and, and she was so vulnerable and so sick and she's still like not thinking of herself, thinking of her family and trying to do everything she can. And it really, it really is this all in everybody. I can't say everybody, but a lot of my patients just really have this all in mentality. They just want to do everything they can to, uh, to be a part of this and, and to try to beat this virus, even from such a sick and vulnerable point of view. You know, I think all of us imagine right now that the hospital is a really intense and sad setting. And I wonder maybe, you know, when we look for those glimmers of hope and I, when I really think about it, you know, there's always life and joy, right? So tell me, tell me about that is, you know, is that the case? Like, is it as intense and, and serious as we imagine? It is. It's, uh, it's quite hard. Like I said, we're doing a lot of, of staff sharing. We've sent some people up to Toronto and we end up with a lot of these uh, short staff situations. Our ICUs aren't as over full as they were during the second wave, but during the second wave, there were some very hard decisions that had to be made with who was allowed to go into the ICU and there was really no beds and people got picked over other people and those are all very ethical decisions that everybody truly struggles with and uh, and it just it can create a very intense work environment. Um, the good thing is I work with an extraordinary team of nurses and doctors and housekeepers and clerks and we've all just kind of bonded throughout this experience and we've all been each other's biggest fans and biggest support groups as you know if nurses are crying they're stressed they need time off everybody has been incredibly supportive and helping each other through it so that's another another positive amidst all of the negative things that are happening it's it's truly forming some extraordinary bonds and amongst the staff or with the patients, are you able to have those moments of levity, those moments of joy or laughter? Of course, of course. Um, every time we have a patient who's been hospitalized for a long time with COVID-19 or really anything, I think we started doing it for the patients who had had weeks or months in the hospital trying to beat COVID. Um, we, we would find small ways to, uh, to lighten the mood and Anytime we could ever get them to discharge, we would always line everybody up on the unit. We would clap them out. We would cheer. We would sing. So it's, uh, there, really is, uh, there really is good in everything. You just have to know where to look for it. I understand that you read a lot about and try to follow the teachings of Buddha. I know you're a member of a strong, supportive yoga community. This pandemic has stretched healthcare workers physically, <clears throat> emotionally, and spiritually so tell us about trying to nurture your body, mind, and soul in this difficult time. So my spiritual practice 
has really been one of the most pivotal reasons I've been able to press on, no matter how hard things have been going. Uh, it truly has been my anchor. Uh, I'm blessed to be part of a, uh, a spiritual uh, yoga community. Uh, and I also teach yoga every Thursday. It keeps me honest. Um, and it really doesn't matter where you come from. All aspects or versions of spirituality are accepted, no matter what your religious background is with, uh, with this group of people. And it truly is just the most welcoming place. You know, it doesn't matter if you were addicted to drugs last week. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful space that we can get together in and, and just celebrate some of the things that we've talked about, celebrate life, try to find the positive, try to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, it's helped that, uh, I've had a very strong yoga practice since I was young. I've been practicing, I practice now probably about four times a week. I get up early before work. I practice before work. Uh, I meditate daily for about 15 or 20 minutes a day. I'm trying to get it to more, but there's only steps. so many minutes in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I need to start valuing my meditation more than my sleep, but uh, it's, it's, it's hard to value anything more than sleep as you get older. <laughs> but um, it's, it's really helped me gain perspective. And uh, we were talking before the show about, um, about my most recent trip, which was a couple of years ago, but I was blessed enough to uh, get myself on an airplane and go to India and live in an ashram for six weeks to try and actually take time away from everything in the world. Even my family, God bless them. I, I took time away from them. I took time away from work just to focus on spirituality, nothing else. But, and I wasn't, uh, I really didn't follow any type of spiritual path or anything like that at the time. It just, it was something that my soul needed to do and I did it. And it was probably the best investment of time that I have ever done in my life. It was the best gift I could have ever given myself. It has paid off and served me for a thousand lifetimes already. Just what I taking the time to be present and be quiet and, uh, and find my own spiritual path. And it's, it's truly something that I wish everybody could do. And I think it would really help everybody live happier lives and face the challenges of everyday life and especially the challenges of this pandemic. Well, and that's it. And, you know, when I read a lot of books about Buddhism and, and Buddha really talks about just trying to accept where you are in life and, uh, and accept the situations without any judgment, without being angry or happy or sad about it, just to accept that and keep going and uh, understand that everybody's exactly where they're supposed to be in life and to trust in that. And it's also helped me deal with, you know, the hard situations that everyone deals with. Like for instance, we do a lot of verbal abuse at work sometimes from if patients get angry or families get angry, especially when I worked in the emergency room, there was uh, the nurses get abused every day. And, and that's where I practice the most because, you know, reading about Buddhism and having a bit of a spiritual community to converse with, they, they really help me understand that when patients or anybody lashes out at you, it's usually because they're suffering themselves and they're just simply transferring that energy. It's not as a personal thing as, as we all take it. And I think a lot of people are dealing with this in the pandemic. I think there's a lot of lashing out and, you know, if you can learn not to be as reactive to that, that's, 
it's really such a gift to be able to give yourself. When I was in India, they, uh, they taught me that the highest form of yoga was to bear insult and injury. And uh, I never really understood it until probably just recently when I, I really realized that uh, if you can learn not to internalize something and just keep going, it's, it's, it's really a gift. And that really requires a radical compassion for the other person. And it does. And, and sometimes these people are complete strangers, right? And it's, it's very difficult to train yourself to have love for a stranger, especially a stranger is somebody who you think has been mean to you or isn't being fair with you. But uh, it really is just something that comes with practice. And I'm by no means there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have my good days and my bad days. And, uh, you know, I get crabby with people, too. I really try not to. But I think we all have our moments. But the more I practice, the more I just sit and try to be mindful and realize that my words and my actions affect everyone around me, just like theirs affects me. It's, it, it really comes with time. And uh, I hope, you know, 10 years from now, I'll have an even better understanding of this. Well, radical compassion is at the heart of all major religious traditions. And I think mm -hmm. what you're talking about, being intentional about it and investing in your own soul, that those are the first steps towards being able to practice it more easily on a daily basis. Absolutely. It's, it's continuity of practice. And it doesn't matter what practice you don't have to be, you don't have to meditate, you don't have to practice yoga, even it's just, it's just mindfulness, you know, you have to find something that you're passionate about. And, and I really, and like you said, it's the paths are many, but you know, God is one. And it's even if you don't want to call it God, just, just something to believe in, but still have that compassion for it, even if it's just going for a walk, and a quiet walk and noticing the leaves on the trees, noticing the bugs on, on the logs, noticing the animals going around, just giving yourself some time to, to unplug and be quiet and be mindful and, and not focus on all the negative emotions that come up in, in a day. It's, it doesn't even have to be a structured religion, but just taking some time to be present. I think, I think that anchor if, if people could just get something like that to anchor onto, I think it would really benefit them, especially when we face such a difficult pandemic. And unfortunately, we're going to have more dark days, I'm sure. Um, and we really do have to honor and respect our bodies that have kind of carried us through our darkest days and are going to carry us through our darkest days because it's going to be our responsibility to help other people through their darkest days. And if we don't take care of ourselves with these self-care activities, then we're not gonna be able to help other people. We're not gonna be able to absorb some people's negativity and respond with kindness. It's, it really is just kind of this cycle where you have to keep practicing and, and get better at it. Well, Jenny, I thank God that you have found that anchor to get you through the challenging work that you're doing these days. And I thank God that you followed your passion and are serving our community um, within the healthcare profession in the incredible way that you are. We, we just give thanks for all of the nursing staff and the doctors and all of the hospital staff who are uh, caring for us in these difficult times. Thank you so much, Catherine. And thank you for inviting me on the show to talk a little bit about this. Uh, it's, it's a really great opportunity to, to share some things that I believe in with all of my heart. So thank you. Thank you.
Let us offer a prayer for health care workers. Holy One, we give thanks for those who care for the sick at this difficult time. For diligent family practitioners and experienced specialists, we thank you. For careful nursing staff, we thank you. For cheerful housekeeping workers, we thank you. For attentive care aides, we thank you. For skilled x-ray technicians, we thank you. For administrators and support staff, we thank you. Holy One, we know that in hospitals and care homes, in emergency rooms and in intensive care units, the work of healing is dangerous and challenging. And we thank you for those willing to serve. We acknowledge the sacrifice and continual pressure that is on a lot of those who care. And we give thanks for the work they do for us and for the communities to which we belong. Holy One, may your love sustain them, your peace surround them, and your Holy Spirit inspire them through the most challenging of times. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast by rating and reviewing it, sharing it with friends, donating to the church, and praying for this ministry. A special thank you to Jenny Alderdice for sharing her thoughts and reflections with us. Join us next time for our final episode in this series, Faith on the Front Lines. Until then, may God bless you and keep you. Amen. <laughs>